0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as hosts SBS's The Feed, Triple J's That Movie Guy, download this show on ABC Radio National slash News 24, SBS Movies, author of That Movie Book, and The Planet According to Movies. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the (laughs) Humans of Twitter list, Mark Fennell. Hello, hello, how are you? It feels weird to hear your
1: own Twitter bio read out loud, because it's actually a bit of a challenge to kind of like make it all fit. There's always a question of like, what do you include, what do you drop? But it's quite weird to have it read out loud. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, It very much depends on who I'm talking to. So if it's a technology crowd, I definitely go with download. If it's uh, journos, I use a combination of download and the feed. If it's movie people, I just do with Triple J. And then I sort of, yeah, so it kind of goes like that. You're basically moving in whenever, whichever different group I'm in, I tend to just tweak it a little bit according to to who fits best.
0: With all of those moving parts in play, which of those would be your the thing that you're most passionate about
1: well this is the thing and i i realized this the other day I, i'm a by nature i'm a really dissatisfied person so i <laughs> use the, all of them in different ways so i'm not like i was thinking like do i do all these things because i'm unhappy no i don't do it because i'm unhappy i'm just dissatisfied it doesn't matter what job i do i'm always kind of looking for something new something else something that something that's not entirely being satisfied by one job and, and the reality is I've had at least two jobs since I was 19. Like ever since I think when the movie show, when the movie show, which was my first job on TV back in 2004, (laughs) uh, when that got axed, I think I was 20. And I remember thinking to myself, right, you've had your first TV show axed before you turned 21. You should absolutely maintain multiple streams of income uh, if you want to survive. And it's (laughs) always been like that. So uh, it's, for me, I... For me, it's quite normal. It's Mm. always been the way for me to have multiple jobs. And I actually look at people that have one job and I just think, you people are weird. How on earth are you paying rent and mortgage on that? I'm confused by your existence.
0: (laughs) Has that brought you undone, ever having all of these multiple things where they're competing for just one mark? (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. I I will say that... um, I have, re- I think, four jobs is a is a cap for me. Anything more than that is is too much. The last year, uh, the combination <laughs> of doing the feed and downloading Triple J and also writing a book, that was the limit. That. Uh, that was definitely the two, two, more than I could possibly ha- handle. And, of course, the other thing is that we had a, a a child this year. So I've got a lovely one-year-old that runs around the house as well. Of course, you can't really mm. multitask with the one-year-old I've discovered. So um, I'd say the amount of work I did in 2014, 2015 is the limit. <laughs> and, um, and I will not be taking any more jobs for the next
0: year. How would you describe your experience of family?
1: Um. Oh, it's interesting. I, I, look, I love my, my son. He's the best thing in the world. He's so much fun. And there is a defined thing that happens when they turn one where they stop being like an adorable slug uh, and they start being a real life human being that has personality um, Mm. traits. And and it's, and it's such an amazing thing to watch. Um, But the first year, just, it, it's so fucking hard. It's so fucking tiring. And, you know, my wife's a, a, a breakfast radio producer at the ABC and I do all my different jobs. And we're used to having this modicum of control over your life. And one of the things I first discovered when we had Max was that child doesn't give a shit if you've got stuff to do. Your child doesn't give a shit if mm. you've got to finish work. They don't care. They exist in their own time. And and you just have to meld to that. And the lack of control, the lack of power you have in that first year is bracing. It's incredibly bracing. Um, and I, I did learn some really interesting things from it. I did learn that um, multitasking is not always a good thing to do. Um, mm. Sometimes when my son's kind of running around the house and I, you know, instinctively I try and do two things at once and then I was just like, that doesn't work because you turn away your head and he's, you know, his head stuck in a bin and he's trying to eat yesterday's dinner. So you, you <laughs> actually, it's actually been very good for me to go, actually, you have to do one thing at a, at, at a time. And right now this is his, his time and everything else can actually wait. So it's been a very yes. useful, a useful kind of uh, learning curve in, in that sense that actually not everything should be done at the same time. Uh, and most things, almost everything can wait.
0: How long can it wait for?
1: <laughs> Depends what it is. You do. I'm I'm a list taker. I keep so many lists, and I and my favorite thing in the world is is to is uh, it's that it's like a drug clicking things off a list. It's like mm-hmm. that is done, and the list is never done because you're always adding to the list. But I like to have things ordered. And I'm I'm a deeply forgetful person. I forget if you don't tell me something, I will forget it. So I have to write everything down. And if I don't, um, my life falls to, to shit. I had a month yes. this year where. Uh, I had a month this year where I I didn't have a list and that was the disaster month where things got missed and everything got forgotten and it was a nightmare. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, everything does get done. It's just about prioritising and having a list. And, and, you know, (laughs) I guess the other thing about it is that um, with a nightly TV show, everything kind of caps out at the end of 8pm. Like uh, you have that drive home to kind of, just listen to the loudest music you can and not have to think about the next day. And then of course I get home and then I start it all again, I'm prepping download or or something like that. So I I really value that half an hour where my hands are occupied driving over the Harbour Ridge and I can't actually do anything else.
0: (laughs) What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Dangerous
1: thing I've ever done. Hmm. Hmm. Dangerous thing I've ever done. Um, that's a really interesting question. And I I think I'm I think I'm danger averse. I don't think I do mm-hmm. things to put myself in a great deal of physical danger I don't think I do as a person what I tend to do sometimes is I as I think and I say things without considering the consequences so and I've gotten better of it better at it over the years but I I, I've always it's been a running joke since I was like eight years old that my mouth was the thing that was going to get me into trouble and it always always has and I treat Twitter as an extension (laughs) of my mouth in that regard so it's always something I'm going to say or something an email I'm going to send that's going to get me in trouble uh, and last f- f- for far longer than it should. So the most dangerous thing I can do, and also weirdly, the thing in- inextricably linked to my career, is open my mouth because that's where <laughs> that that's where the disaster is 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 likely to fall.
0: What has your mouth done <laughs> that got you, you into trouble that. most recently?
1: Um uh <laughs> well i mean i the most recent one i couldn't tell you because it involved somebody who who probably shouldn't be uh who probably wouldn't want to be brought up in this context um uh yeah okay let me think about that in terms of i used to get into lots of art like okay Whilst I make Download and Triple J by myself, television is, is, is a collaborative medium. So you're always working with people. And I used to get, and we used to yes. have very, uh, I think what they call in politics, robust discussions, particularly when we were making Hungry Beast. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody had robust discussions making Hungry Beast. It was a competition of, of 19 different people trying to do different things. And they would, that group of people still are my, my best friends in the world. But my God, the robust discussions that were had
0: <laughs> in the making of that show were significant. Do you think that that friendship or that those friendships that you all share uh, out of Hungry Beast are because you guys put each other through the fire because well, of the nature of those robust discussions? The thing with Hungry Beast is this: those robust discussions
1: were rarely held between the nineteen beasts. Those, mm. those were robust discussions with other parts of the production. Um. So in terms of the nineteen of us, by and large, we like. I mean, half the people that worked on Hungry Beast work on the feed. The other (laughs) half work on the checkout. You know, we're all we're all still the the overlap of our lives is significant. So the um, remaining
0: half are doing amazing things overseas, though, aren't they?
1: Yeah, well then there's Patrick Clare, who's like clearly the breakout superstar of the show, doing the opening titles to True Detective and Daredevil and every other show that's you know, you know, out there winning Emmys and being the subject of a bidding war between JJ Abrams and Ubisoft. Yeah. Mm. Patrick Patrick never got into an argument with anybody and I think it's I think it's clearly paid off for him. Um yeah. Uh no, I, I yeah, look, I I think um I, I the my mouth is what is what basically keeps me in a job. It's also the thing that is most likely to get me
0: into trouble. What one thing would you change about your life today?
1: Um, oh, that's a really good question. What's one thing I'd change about my life today? I I think I'd do slightly less. I think um, uh, I'm I'm looking forward. You know what? The best piece of advice that was ever given to me. Um, was uh, the best opportunity is the one that's right in front of you, and that's a that's a that's an Andrew Denton classic right there. He was always good for mm. a pearl of wisdom, and one of the things that I'm very guilty of in by way of being such a like a dissatisfied human being is I'm always like looking for a new thing and looking for a, a new project. And it's so telling that. Um, I handed in, I think, the the last bits of the manuscript cause, uh, for, for the new book that's coming out in a month. Um, there's always like little – you you put in most of it and then there's always like little bits and pieces that need to be dealt with or, like right up until the end. And I put in that last little piece the other day. And in, instantly – and I mean like within 30 seconds of hitting send on the email, I started thinking of, oh, that would be a good TV show to build. Is that <laughs> a better web – maybe that's a better web thing. Maybe that will work well online. I wonder if – I wonder if you can get one of the streaming players to buy into that. I wonder if that, you know, and instantly my brain starts creating new things that might work out of, you know, discussions I'd had a week and a half ago. And I just thought to myself, no, you actually have an awesome opportunity right now um, where you have two and a half hours of live TV a week where you can build that thing there put your energy into that or put your energy into the radio show, put your energy into into something and, and build it there rather than trying to build some other extraneous thing, which is, you know, my natural instinct. And, and so one of the things that I'm actually very keen to do for the next year is to use the feed as a, as a playground for ideas, you know, and, and you know, yeah. one of the things that happens with a, a nightly TV show is you, you start, as you start getting like minute-by-minute minute ratings and, and things like that, and, you know, we're a small show on a small network, but we, but we, you know, you gradually start to find things that you think work, and then you start to have a format, and then it starts to stay. And one of the things I really want to take the rest of the year and early next year to do is to try out formats for storytelling that you wouldn't expect to find at 7.30 on, on, on a TV channel, and so really trying to be you know break the mold of what we've done and i think when the show first started we were very good about trying to find different um forms of visual language to tell stories and what i've actually decided for the rest of the year i'm doing is just thinking about new ways of getting across factual information or conversations with people on tv and using the show this fantastic gift of airtime um Mm. to to try and find new ways of using it and and so uh less extraneous projects taking the best opportunity taking advantage of the best opportunity which is the one you have right now
0: how do you control that creative beast is it just i have to output it i have to output it or is there a way that you tame it so that you manage to sleep
1: um i sleep okay but i tend not to sleep until very very late um Mm. and and i do it it the way I, I, for for me in terms of like being creative, I need um, I need that dead space in the day where um my son goes to bed, my wife goes to bed, um and I it's me and my laptop or me and a notepad. I need that space. You know, normally I use it to to edit TV or because I, I cut. What a lot of people don't realize is I cut a lot of the the interviews that I do for the TV show. I actually edit them myself. Not not all of them, but um. I use that time for that or I use that time to write the book or I use that time to um, to watch things, to consume things, to kind of feel like you, you're consuming things rather than just constantly in that process of consume, synthesize, consume, synthesize, to just take a bit of time to just, you know, absorb something. I need that time. That's the time where I'm mm-hmm. most creative when everyone else has gone to sleep. So we're talking about between uh, 11.30 and 3 in the morning. That's my time. That's where, that's where I – everything – Anything good I've ever done, generally speaking, has probably been devised in those hours. Um, so, and, and that's the time where I use that side of my personality. Every other time of day is a little bit more functional, uh, I think. It's it's less creative and it's more um, sort of managerial, I guess. Uh, did, I, did I really answer your question? I'm actually not sure that I did. So it was about how 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 do i um control that beast yeah I, yeah i just keeping trying things out no actually no i actually did i did answer your question i'm talking myself into a circle ignore me
0: <laughs> <laughs> given that your wife is a breakfast radio producer and you're talking about going to bed at 3 a.m. you guys must just about high five each other and share a single bed
1: <laughs> we
0: did joke that um for a while it's actually
1: not as bad as it sound so she does at the moment cuz she's largely on maternity leave uh she does only early, early shifts like two or three days a week and the other days she's um staying at home looking after uh, after after max and uh and you've also got to remember that I work mostly nights and in the, in the back half of the day so there's there's mornings and there's stuff like that and there's weekends and uh she's not necessarily working every day at the moment uh, and then when she was working full-time on the show she wasn't always doing the early shift sometimes she was doing the, the late shift prepping the next day so it's it, it's a little it, like it sounds completely like we live in two different time zones and indeed a lot of the time it feels that way but actually if you were to lay it out on a calendar it's, it's not quite that terrible
0: what do you think? Your legacy will be
1: <laughs> um, just the most amount of person, uh, just the person most likely to say three and a half stars on radio or television. Uh, I'd like to have that as my legacy, mostly. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's I'm thirty. I'm really young in the grand scheme of like the average age of a of a of a television personality in Australia, and I've you know that's not to be false modest about it i've done quite a fair bit Mm. my first job was when i was 18 19 so i've done quite a fair bit in that that intervening 11 and 12 years but um i don't i i choose to believe that the best thing that i'm ever going to do in my life i haven't done yet um i feel like i've there's been a lot of great things that um that i've been involved in that i you know i couldn't confidently claim total credit for myself i think i've been involved in a lot of really great things um, but there's so much more. There's so much more that I'd like to do that um, that I haven't done um, and I don't think the best thing I'm ever going to do in my life I've done yet. Um, so I, in terms of my legacy, I you know, I, there's a couple of key things. Like I'd like to have been responsible for taking um, popular culture, cult, techno, co- conversations around culture uh, that... You know, when I started at Triple J, it was a very highfalutin conversation and uh, I, I wanted to take cultural theory and put it onto, into in a really um, – I wanted to make it accessible for 15-year-old Wayne from Warga and the first thing I did mm. at Triple J was a series called um, Film Ed 101, which is a terrible title. But it was mm. like amazingly weird slices of film history, film culture, film theory – put into these two minute packages with lots of sound and music and bells and whistles. And, you know, nobody was doing that at that time. Um, now of course the world of cultural theory and, um, film criticism and television criticism has uh, through absolutely no impact on my part exploded in the last 10 years through the internet. You know, there's now long form writing and YouTube channels and everything just dedicated to talking about film and television and, and, and those things. So that actually wasn't there at the beginning. And I, I'm not I'm not in any way claiming credit for any of that whatsoever, but I, I do think that I did a pretty decent job of putting that conversation in um, on national radio on Triple J. But it's just realistically I don't necessarily think that will be anything I'm remembered for. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, in terms of specific legacy, I just don't think I've done the thing that I'd like to think that the thing that I'm going to be remembered for, if indeed remembered at all, hasn't happened yet.
0: What prompted the change in hairstyle management? <laughs> oh, that's so funny.
1: Um, I had the same haircut for ten years. I just, I'd had the same haircut for ten years, and I think the difference between somebody like me having the same haircut in ten years and somebody else is that mine was extremely well documented. There are pictures of me as an eighteen-year-old <laughs> on TV with that haircut, and I just was bored of it. I was. It's also very I curly. Yeah, it's very well. Yeah, it's very very curly, and and it kind of changed in size and and a bunch of things. I just I just got really bored of it. And I and it's funny as a as a kid and a teenager, I'd actually always wanted like <laughs> straight hair, like you know all the other white kids at school. And I had this curly mm. hair, and I don't know maybe maybe hair product technology has improved. Like and and people think I do like heaps of stuff with it. It's like there's a tiny like. A fifty cent coin worth of like hair product, I rub it through and I comb it, and that and like that's all I do. Like, there's nothing. There's not like it's not like I've done something special to it. That's just what <laughs> like I I put a comb through it. It's not groundbreaking, um, but um, yeah, it's it's been interesting though. Like, I, the moment I changed my haircut, there was this whole new like kind of career that launched with the feed and and download and all these things suddenly changing. So I'm not going to say the haircut was a key part of it but it is interesting that there was like a sudden defined life shift with a haircut. It's like the reverse of what happened with Kerry Russell on Felicity. It's just a very weird (laughs) thing that happens.
0: What what other fond memories do you have of uh, little Mark at school compared to all of the other white kids? Mark was a precocious cunt of a child. (laughs) He
1: was. (laughs) He really, and you know what? Nothing has changed. He really, I was, I was, my mum spends a lot of time looking after Max at the moment. And she brought over some, oh, she had some family photos a couple months ago. And I looked at this kid, uh, who is me at the age of like 10, with you know, he had his school photo and had the most shit eating grin on his face. And I looked at him and went, Oh, you're an asshole. I remember now, you're such a bitchy answer and i i was always i was always like a talker i lost track of the number of um lost track of the number of um report cards i have saying mark would achieve more if he just shut up (laughs) or some variants of it but it, it is interesting like i don't i was a really unhappy kid too and i don't know that anyone really realized that um I, you know, I would, I talk a lot to cover it and I'd try and make people laugh to cover it, but fuck, I was an unhappy kid. I hated school. I hated the other kids. I hated who I was. I was like a talkative chubby kid. You know what I mean? Like talkative chubby Mm -hmm. kids always are covering for something that, you know, some hurt. Some some sense of rejection, something. They just like I've never met one that once you get them talking, don't eventually realize, don't eventually reveal that that, that is a part of how they ended up where they were. It's because they're, you know. And I was such an unhappy kid. I, I went to this, I went to a bunch of different schools, and I um, one of the schools was this obnoxious, um, completely overpriced private school that my parents sent me to because they thought they thought they were doing the right thing. You spend a lot of money, money that you can't afford to send your kid to a private school and they're going to come back with a good education. All I came back with was an mm. inferiority complex. You know, it was one of those horrible private schools that value only sport. If you don't fit into that mould, you're a piece of fucking shit. And actually the, when I did eventually leave that school, like within months they had this huge sex scandal um, and, and bullying scandal and, and it was after I'd left but it was my year and yes. I looked at it and went, of fucking course you did. Of course, yeah. you had this giant scandal because you were a den of shit. Uh, in case anyone's curious, that school was Trinity Grammar in Sydney. It's the worst fucking place on earth. Um, um, I can say that now because my mum was a teacher there and she just left. And mum has a very different opinion of it than I do. But um, mm. I just hated that place with the passion of a thousand angry sons. Um, I did. It's weirdly they actually asked me to back to. I didn't graduate from that school. So I left at the end of year nine. I went to another school that was actually really awesome. Um, But a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, Trinity sent me an email saying, Would you like to come and talk to students? And I I don't think I've ever said no harder and faster in my life. (laughs) Like, (laughs) no, and also fuck you for the years I spent in your awful environment. But um, no, I was a really unhappy kid. I don't, yeah, I don't have, I don't have, like, I have really fond memories of like popular culture from, being a kid like I loved growing up watching mm. Star Trek and I loved going to see Batman movies by myself and 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 all that kind of stuff uh, and and just you know playing Microsoft and Carter 95 games and stuff like that I have like incredibly fond memories <laughs> of that but that's it like most of my childhood is just I really hated it
0: what facilitated the change between unhappy kid and happy adult
1: I found two things I found um the, the, the end of high school was great, um, I should say, because like, by the end of high school, mm-hmm. all the dickhead kids have either left at the end of year 10 or, you know, you're just surrounded by people that are, are less awful and um, I found really lovely people. And the school I graduated from was like this tiny community Christian yep. school and I used to joke that, you know, they put the fun back into fundamental dogma. But the reality was, yes, they were, they were super religious Christians, <laughs> but they were the loveliest people on earth and like the best advertisement for Christianity you will ever encounter. Awesome people. But um, by the end of that, mm. um, by the end of high school, I was okay. And then really what happened was um, I discovered a community radio station in Sydney called FBI. And um, mm. I went there and they basically taught me radio. They introduced me to Maddie, who would eventually become my wife. And it was just – it was about finding your place in the world. And, yeah, and I, I, that's not to suggest that I have felt ever satisfied. I, like I've never felt satisfied. There's always been – I remember when I was at FBI, all I really wanted to be was on Triple J. And then I got on Triple J and I was like, fuck, what's next? What, what else do I do? do? What do I want to be next? And then, you know, it's always been like – One other thing. So I've never like it's not like I've I've ever reached like happy zen moment, Um, Mm. but yeah, I I think in terms of climbing out of that process, it's about finding something that you love doing, something that brings you to life.
0: What can't you tolerate? (laughs)
1: Mm, What can't I tolerate? Um, The Australian media section? No, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, that's a really good question. And I know there's like a thousand things that are on that list. I can't tolerate being left out of the loop. I'm really bad. And it's really hard now because I'm particularly on you know my TV show or in, or in publishing, I'm like I'm one part of a much bigger wheel that's turning and learning to hand things off to other people and not worry about them is I'm so shit at it. Like I'm so spectacularly shit at it. I really am. Um, I hate being left out of the loop. I hate when decisions are made without me. I'm so like, I'm yeah. I'm a contr- I'm a control freak in like in a 99% functional way, but there's that one percent where you are just like nobody told me I had to do this. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? That that kind of thing. So I I really mm. I really really hate being left out of the loop. Um, in in a work context. Um, beyond that, the, I you know what I you know what else I can't stand, culture wars. It's so funny because like I I emerged into the media at the tail end of the Howard years, and I always kind of heard people refer to culture wars between left wing media and right wing media, and I always kind of went, that's stupid. Like yes, obviously different different networks come from have a different institutional point of view on the world, and and it's good for them to put that out in the world to have those points of view because we're better if you know one outlet is make so making you see the world from one point of view and another outlet's making you see the world from another point of view and you can roughly triangulate where you sit between them. That I get like partisan media, mm-hmm. I actually don't necessarily have a problem with because I think it's useful as readers start triangulating, you know, provided people aren't just manipulating facts, um, which I don't believe is a smart thing to do um having uh different mastheads uh, networks that kind of show you the world from slightly different point of view um i think is is not a terrible thing but the bitchy snide uh sniping that happens on the far left and the far right in this country is and and it and it's so localized on twitter you know and 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 twitter Mm. is is such a uh, a den of awfulness. And awfulness, it has to be said on both sides of the political spectrum, I find so boring and so infuriating. And the number of times, I, and, you know, because you, I get tagged in both of it, you know, people on the far left just assume because I work with, uh, you know, two public broadcasters that I must naturally mm. be somewhere to the left of Sea Shepherd. Um, and people on the right who just assume because I work for the ABC <laughs> and SBS... I must, you know, have Trotsky buried in my backyard and I pray to him every night. I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I, I do, my job is opinion. That's not me, you know, my job is opinion, but I'm opinion based on policy and achievement and personality and, and a whole bunch of, you know, factors that, that occur in a working day, right? And the sort of the entrenched, well, you're from this side of politics, I find so boring. And I just, there are certain particular um, parts of the media that just, just live for this shit. They absolutely live for just mm. to, to rubbish one side or the other, whether it's News Corp or the ABC. And I just, I look at them and just go, you are so astonishingly, staggeringly fucking boring. And I have zero time for it. What
0: are you going to achieve in the next twelve months?
1: <laughs> hopefully I'm gonna have a best-selling book <laughs> let's go with that <laughs> um no well I mean I, I joke but uh, that is uh that is something that I'm focused on you know you spend a year writing a book in the middle of the night and and uh, researching it and watching films and writing it and you want to make sure the jokes are good and and, and you know I write I write essentially film comedy books um that's what my books mm. are they're, they're funny they're designed to be uh funny and interesting that's their their role and so you know, I, I I actually joke in the front cover of the book. Um, you know, in in the bio, Mark Fennell's done this, Mark Fennell's done that. Mark Fennell produced a book called that movie book, which sold well in a contracting print market, and so suddenly they commissioned a second one, and here we are. Which is true. You know, like the book did, the first book did well, and I'd like the second book to to, to do well. And for me, there's I, there's no point doing something if people don't see it. You know, like I don't want to put my time and energy into doing something like writing a book if people aren't going to read it and I think the book is funny and I would like people to read it and the same applies to the tv show so you know obviously the feed Mm. on SBS is um you know it's a channel that basically didn't exist two years ago um and it's not on anyone's radar but in the space of that time the show has been nominated for Logies and Walkleys and it's grown its audience every year and that matters to me I'm looking mm. out now over I'm actually you know talking to you from our studios and I'm looking out at, at 15 you know young people who have put together a show that punches so far above its weight in terms of the broader television landscape and I want in 12 months time I want their numbers to double I want the show to be noticed by other mm. journalists I want the show to be noticed by viewers I want the, I want their hard work to be seen because the stuff this show turns out on the smell of an oily rag is astonishing and I really think it deserves to be seen by more people. And so that's my focus on the next year is about building. I just want to, the shows that I, the things that I have, I want to build them up so that more people are sampling them and more people are seeing the great work that, that happens on the show.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you for, for sharing what you have. Please know that you no are highly valued and appreciated. And the things that you have shared today uh are very valuable. Thank you for sharing them. No, thank you, buddy. Obviously, you're on Twitter. Are there any other social media accounts that you want to admit to?
1: <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's Instagram. Um, I keep trying to make you know, Snapchat work for me, and I've just decided I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know that how to really – I just, like, I know I, – I understand it. I do understand it. I understand its role within the media market. But, um, but I'm just not good at it. And I think I'm, the reason I'm not good at it is I haven't had enough time to kind of like be playful with it. Um, Instagram is just Jim Selfies, let's be honest. It's Jim Selfies and my adorable son and the occasional famous mm. person I meet. Uh, sadly lacking in Tinder, um, what with having been married for a couple of years, Tinder proves to be not that useful <laughs> for me. Um, uh, other social networks. I, t- I tell you what I've gotten quite fond of. Um, I quite like Ask Me or whatever it is, like, because it's, it's interesting kind of going through this process of being somebody that professionally asks other people questions. It's always fascinating to see what questions come oh, back. The ask FM, yes, see the ask it is. Ask FM. It's all, I'm, I'm on it if you want to ask me a question, too, because I'm fascinated by the sorts of things people are curious about. Because I'm not, like, in the grand scheme of media identities in Australia, I'm really not that big a deal at all. But it's so fascinating to see the sort of things that people are interested in. So, if if you're ever are on Ask FM, ask me a question. I'm curious to know what you're curious about more than anything. Um, and you know, the usual Facebook Facebook is, um, is still the the social glue that holds a lot of people around me together. So, so that that's still on there. Yeah, are there new things that I should. Hmm. Oh, you know what? I'm still determined. Like, I still want to make Periscope work for me. Like it's just, I just, Mm. I, I, I'm still working around the right opportunity. I think it's a really awesome app. I'm still trying to work out the best way to make it work in my line of business. And I've not quite nailed it yet. And I had this conversation with, um, uh, flip who works at Twitter Australia, who handles all their news and political people. And she's so smart and so bright, but I was just like, I want to make this work, but I just don't have the opportunities to make it work. So I'm not going to say like I'm out there trying to make Twitter, you know, trying to make Periscope work for me, but I am
0: curious about how to make Periscope work for me. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Mark Fennell is indeed human. <laughs> Thanks so much for having-